0: Hi hey folks, thanks for tuning in uh, on April 26th, 2020 for episode 7 of uh, Coast to Coast Outdoors podcast. Uh, today's episode we have uh, Greg Balch. He owns the, hold on here, the community. I, I don't want to mess it up now. I want to get it right. Uh, Should have had it handy here. He is the owner of the Community Wildlife Management Workshops, and we've been fortunate enough to have him in Nova Scotia a few times here, or a couple times, sorry, Uh, and uh, Greg uh, is known to travel across Canada, for the most part, uh, from Ontario East, uh, with this uh, program. Uh, I'm going to uh, now bring Greg on and uh, have him introduce himself and talk a little. Hey, Hey, Greg, welcome to the show. Good, thanks. Uh, Thanks for asking me on. So. No worries. Uh, so, uh, just for disclosure purposes, me and you have met through your program, obviously. Uh, and, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful program. Uh, many, uh, many people, uh, in organizations across Canada, uh, would be fortunate to, uh, to, to have you in their province and teach their youngsters, uh, uh, about the wildlife. And, uh, we're, we're going to get into that shortly, uh, on uh this episode. So, uh, Yeah, Greg, uh, tell us a little bit about how you got started with the community wildlife management workshops and how it came about.
1: Okay, well, it's kind of a funny story. My uh, daughter at the age of five was in kindergarten, senior kindergarten. And in September of that year, she uh, was talking to the teacher and she asked me if it would be possible to bring in some um, duck wings. Like I used to do, I cut the wings off the duck when I was dressing ducks to you know, put on the table when my father would bring them home back in the 60s. And so I would take the wings and then take them to school and show kids how you could identify the different ducks by the speculum on the wing. And there are well over 20 species of ducks that fly through eastern Canada. And uh, by the time I was eight, I could pretty much tell you what it was by looking at the speculum. So it was uh, funny. I asked the teacher at Meet the Teacher Night in September of that year. September early October and I said uh, would you be offended if uh, Sarah brought these in and he she said well do you know anything about wild or waterfowl and I said yes uh, what would you like to know that's all I'd done up until 19 oh well, I guess it would be about uh, 1990 when I um, I started to do this um, The all I did was waterfowl hunt and that's what my dad did that's what we did together until he lost the fight against cancer in 1987 and uh, that was the last time we hunted was uh, in 86 actually. But uh, so the teacher had me come in and uh, she asked me if I could do a 20 minute talk to the kindergarten classes and uh, talk about waterfowl. And uh, I did it and uh, brought in some wings and some made up some posters and brought in a couple of mounted ducks and uh, it went from there in 93. I was uh, at work and uh, a colleague of mine at work who had actually trained me to drive the bus at London Transit, Wayne King, um, he asked me, he heard that I'd been in the schools talking to different uh, classes and asked me if I would consider um, representing the Wellington Street Sportsman's Club in Dorchester with my program and being an ambassador into the schools. So I went out in 93. I joined the club and I started doing the uh, actual program that I'm doing now, which has evolved many times and changed and developed and so on uh, in 1993. And of course, it goes from there. So without Wayne starting me off and getting me into the into the actual uh, club and the sponsorship that was there, there you know it would probably be just me still going into local schools instead of uh, province wide. So.
0: You know so um, I know uh, uh, I I know you've uh, gained some accolades as well Greg uh, through your time doing this here as well uh, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong uh, you want to touch on some of them uh, <laughs> okay uh, well, as, as well, an you, number I know that yeah
1: you can see on the wall there's a few of uh, the first one I got was uh, from the Windsor Sportsman's Club in Ontario uh, they sponsored the the uh, Willis Skirk award for public Speaking so i got that a couple of times uh the larry wallace memorial award from the ontario federation of anglers and hunters recognizes outstanding um service and for conservation education where youth uh and wise use of uh our renewable natural resources and in 1995 i was the inaugural recipient for the um the uh, volunteer uh category there's two categories volunteer and professional and uh, i received it again in 1998 and then uh last year i received it for the third time but in 95 and 98 i was uh, receiving it as a volunteer and last year they gave it to me as a professional because after most of 30 years of teaching i guess that's what they think i am now so i'm still just a volunteer and uh, i still drive a bus part time and uh, but i Still love going into the schools and sharing everything with the kids. But, uh, that was the first really big award. And then, of course, many years over, or many times over the years, the, uh, the other awards have come. I was the uh, very first Canadian to uh, receive the Roger Latham Award from the National Wild Turkey Federation for um, volunteer service. It's the top award that a volunteer can receive for that federation. And uh, our own Terry Smith, as well, who's president of the Canadian Wild Turkey Federation, which I work with closely, is um, also a recipient of the uh, of the uh, Roger Latham Award. There's only three of us actually. Tom Howe from Ontario has also received the award, and only three of us have ever received it in, in Canada since the NWT arrived and then have left in 19 or er, 2014. So. Last year was really unique because I was, uh, well, in 2018, I was informed that I had, uh, been awarded the, um, the Stommer's medal for volunteers from the governor general of Canada, which you can see actually on the, the wall behind me, the medals in a, in a, um, a shadow box and the, the uh, certificate in the frame. So, so that was the big one and, uh, many other things in between about 13 or 14, uh, major awards that uh, i've been lucky enough to receive
0: so wow that's uh that's tremendous great work on your behalf uh i know with the 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 programs unless you see the program firsthand it's it's very hard to, it, it's easy to explain but if you don't see it firsthand it's one of them situations where hey it's it's you really have to that's my personal opinion you really have to see it firsthand in order to to see engage the value of it, and uh, that leads me into my next question for you, Greg. Uh, uh, with the program, uh, I know uh, we were talking there, and uh, let's talk about the education value that it brings to uh, youth uh, of uh, any age. Obviously, uh, I know we've uh, when we've had you down, we've done children from from pre-primary to uh, to grade twelve.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a different program because a lot of people assume they know things. And until you actually delve into um, all areas of wildlife management, of the conservation aspects of it and everything else, you really don't understand the complex uh, relationships between species and uh, how everything works together. We have a reason for being here just like everything from a skunk to a moose. You can't say, "Oh, they!" You got to get rid of them. Like a skunk is a problem to some people. Well, if you left it alone and did your thing and let it do its thing, you know, you have uh, there's a reason for it to be here, or else it wouldn't have been put here. So, and everything has, um, let's say, a way of maintaining its population and so on. When you look at, for instance, animals like um, a great horned owl. Or say a, a snowy owl, they uh, they have reasons for he- being here, and they also maintain their populations through that predator-prey relationship. And other animals also help with uh, maintaining it as well. Like you know, the uh, snowy owl relies on lemmings. And now the other thing is is that I don't know everything. I will learn continually I was actually back in um, in February doing a program and I was always of the mind that the uh, the lemming actually would you know go into an issue with uh, social stress and kill itself off but then a fellow pointed uh, to me the um, in, in the direction of uh, the research that was done recently in Alaska where the lemmings actually are much like bison And what they need to do is they they grow in population really quickly, and then they run out of food. And so they have to find new food, and they swim across rivers and lakes and streams, and in turn, end up drowning, which is the reason they drown, not because they have social stress and they run off a cliff and jump into the ocean, which is what Walt Disney tried to tell us they were doing. Back in the 50s or 60s, he produced a, a film, and I guess it was a bunch of lemmings running off of a turntable into the water. So it was a hoax. But uh, the truth is, is that these animals have to find food, and when the population gets too large to be maintained by the food source that's there, they have to migrate in order to be able to find new food. So the lemming can't find food, and the population decreases, now the snowy owl has to come south on an eruption, and they'll go as far south as northern Florida in order to find food. So when uh, the lemming population is high, the snowy owl could have a dozen eggs in its nest because he's eating lots of lemmings. It's called um, uh, income breeding. So the higher the income, the higher number of, of lemmings they have, the more babies they can produce. When the population is down, they might only have a handful of lemmings every day, two or three. And in turn, now they only produce two or three eggs. So it's it's a, a unique uh, thing when you actually study all of these different things, and I learn on a daily basis, every time I look at something, I try and learn something new, and the importance of every species in the food web, it's there, and the the most important species in actual fact in maintaining healthy populations of wildlife are the predators, the apex predators in particular. Then you have secondary predators like fox and coyote and so on, but the wolves, the cougars, the uh, polar bears, the um, uh, killer whales, the orcas in the ocean. They're, they're the top of the food web, not us. We're in the middle. And if we didn't have the sharp stick or, or the big knife or the gun, what do you think we'd do with a polar bear coming at us? So we're in the middle, but a lot of people learn a lot of things. And then you get surprising things like that young lady at uh, Glace Bay there two years ago. I think she was an eight-year-old child and I asked the question, what animal actually controls the lynx population by eating baby snowshoe hares? And the answer that she gave me was a squirrel. And the whole gym erupted in laughter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said, "Was did you say squirrel? And, of course, the poor little girl started to cry. She was embarrassed because all these people were laughing at her. And I looked at the kids in the, in the gym, and I said, look it. She just gave the correct answer because the red squirrel controls snowshoe hair and in turn controls the, the lynx population. It's a supply and demand issue. So when the hare population is high, the lynx population will produce seven, eight, nine in the litter, possibly. When it's low, they'll only have two or three. They're income breeders. So that's the whole thing, is it? Uh, and it's like this little girl was the only one. I've seen 176,000 people in 30 years well, and this is the only person who actually have answered that question correctly was an eight-year-old girl in Glaze Bay, Nova Scotia. So, and whether it was a guess or what it was, it was perfect. It was right on the money, and, uh, and she got and it.
0: Many of us in that room, uh, we, we were scratching our heads. To uh, Like, I, I wouldn't have guessed that, right? It was... No. Uh, it uh, it's but you know what uh, she was prouder than the peacock when uh, when she found out she was right though.
1: Oh yeah, I got down right beside her and I said, "You're you just did a a beautiful thing, so be proud." And that's what she was. So and the rest of them all just holy cow! Let's give her a round of applause. That was an incredible answer, and she's the only one in 30 years of doing this that's actually said it right.
0: So. And, uh, I've, I've displayed a few photos as we were talking there, Greg, uh, from the schools, obviously, uh, uh we had, uh, the Waikagama or Waikoba school, uh, displayed, uh, here, uh, on the screen, uh, that was, uh, Chief Rod's reserve. And that was one of the first, uh, uh, Mi'kmaq reserves in Nova Scotia to, uh, to take part in that, uh, that, uh, program, obviously, uh, there was, a uh, member two, um, was uh, second uh, on the roster there. And, uh, we, like, again, we great. Thank you to everybody that, uh, took part and allowed, uh, many, uh, first nations children seeing stuff there that they've, they, they, they may not see in their lifetime. Greg, uh, yeah. you, you also bring with, uh, with this program, uh, a wealth of knowledge, but you also bring 400 year old artifacts.
1: Oh yeah, the fur trade items are uh, really incredible. A lot of people would never ever touch them, you know, in their entire lives. The uh, I've got a beaver felt hat that was manufactured in England in 1720 and one in 1790, and a Balmoro that is um, actually identical to the to the uh, one that Alexander Mackenzie wore to the Pacific, and. Uh, Makes me laugh. You, you look at the, um, the talk that they do in the, in the States about Lewis and Clark. Well, Lewis and Clark went across the, uh, the uh, continent in, uh, I believe it was, what, 1802? And um, they actually read Alexander Mackenzie's diary and found out what he knew. So, you know, it wasn't just that they jumped off into the wilderness and they did discover a lot of things. And they did get to the Pacific, but they didn't do it before anybody north of the 49th parallel did. so
0: And so Greg, I've got a, I've got a video or a, a newspaper clipping up there from the mm-hmm. Cape Breton Post for uh, the Glace Bay area mm-hmm. uh, when, it, when it was uh, your presentation was done in Glace Bay and uh, the little guy down uh, to the right of you uh, on my screen there uh, uh, I believe is wearing one of those uh, hats from the fur trade era
1: yeah that's the 1790 hat that he's got on so the 1720 hat's really starting to fall apart and but you can see the difference in the workmanship in uh, 70 years from 1720 to 1790 it's really incredible but you know a lot of the hats or well a lot of the fur that was taken from canada and shipped to the to the old world that's what they used them for was uh, felt for hats and today the best cowboy hats or felt for boots or whatever, liners and so on, they're still made from beaver fur, which I catch here in London. I'm getting sometimes as many as 20 to 30 beavers in a year in the city of London. They're here, and we've got more beavers probably now than when Columbus sailed because of the way we manage beavers in Ontario. So, but uh, makes the best felt. And uh, it's funny because water will not go through that felt. In 1974, when I was um, in high school, I was 17, and I uh, was actually uh, able to get a job guiding West Labrador at uh, menahack Camps. And the old guy that owned the camp, he had us pour our gasoline through an upturned fedora, which is um, made out of beaver felt. And that felt kept the water from going into your gas tank, but the gasoline went through. So every yeah, it's a great trick. If you uh, ever want to give it a try and keep the gasoline or the water out of your gasoline for your boat, use an old felt hat, pour the gasoline through it because water has a specific gravity of one. Everything else is less than that. That's why it floats on water. So then of course, mercury was used to make the hats because it was uh, the uh, duvet of the beaver was treated. It's barbed. And when it's treated with mercury and then pressed into felt, it's totally waterproof. It just, no water can get through it, and mercury was the only thing. They actually used it to form the hats as well. They would put a ring of uh, felt on um, on the hat form and then pour mercury on top of it, and it would stretch down into the form and actually uh, actually do the um, the forming of the hat. Then they would pour the mercury out, let it dry, and then, of course, uh, but that's where they got the term mad as a hatter. So hatters would inhale the mercury fumes, and they, in turn, would uh, go a little crazy. So but uh, it's an interesting thing when you think about it. A lot of people think that it was fur and they made fur coats. They didn't. They made into, made it all into hats or most of it into hats. Bison was taken for their, their hides, but also for tongues. Their tongues were a delicacy. And uh, it was funny because um, um, when uh, the overseas governor of the Hudson's Bay Company was uh, – was, um, negotiating or lobbying the, the government or anybody came, he would give them a, a dry Buffalo tongue. Okay. sir. um, um, uh, his name was Simpson. And, um, uh, the, uh, thing was is that he was always stated to have been speaking with many tongues when he gave out those dry Buffalo tongues to people when he, uh, lobbied the government. So it was kind of a funny way of putting it, but, uh, other than that, yeah, there's lots of things there. There um, I've got uh, striker and Flint that's 400 years old. I've got a, an axe that was I'm told found in the uh, Ottawa River, and they say it was from um, French produced approximately 1640. Champlain could have touched that, and it's in the display. People get to pick it up and look at it. They get to walk up to the animals, put their arms around. How often are you going to put your arms around a wolverine or a bear?
0: You know. It's- That's just it, right? Uh, It uh, doesn't happen uh, all the time. Uh, There was kids uh, I know that seen the program uh, that the only time they would see something remotely close is at a a, a wildlife sanctuary or uh, a wildlife park, obviously, or a zoo. uh, As many of them have said, Greg, uh, and for you to have it there where they can touch them. That was that was golden for many kids because that, that makes a lot of memories and, and whatnot. And at the time, uh, I've seen your event. Uh, I think it was 115 mounts at that time you had. Uh, now you must be how many do you have now, Greg?
1: I'm almost to 130. So oh, wow. it's, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of additions. Uh, I'm uh, I I don't want to see a bird of prey get killed by a car and so on but it happens and every once in a while i find one on the road get a permit for it get it mounted and put it into the display some of them replace old ones some of them replace or are are brand new to the display because i've never had that actual species before such as um, a merlin Um, i received a merlin last year that was found up uh, near shakespeare stratford and i only recently found another merlin so now i've got a male and a female merlin and it's being mounted I have to actually pick that up this week. So it's in the display. But that's oh, wow. the thing is it? I had a teacher once tell me from Catholic Central here in London that my display rivaled a lot of things that were actually in the Royal, um, the uh, Royal Museum in Ontario. The only difference is everything they've got is under glass and everything I've got is touchable. So, but that's how people learn. They have to experience and touch. You, and, you have to uh,
0: see it firsthand, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. So like it's, uh, it's something, and it's funny because you um, you actually educate the adults as much or more than the kids. A lot of these kids have learned a lot of things. They've looked it up. They've explored the different facts and so on. And, and then you get people who are uh, so, let's say, one-sided in their thinking that you could never change their mind. And I don't try to change anybody's mind. I tell them what the, the truth is. This is strictly science. The only passion you see is my own. It's for what I do. But you've got one time I had a young lady who uh, was sitting there and she insisted that we hunted deer when they were having their babies. And I said, I can't understand how you could say that. She said, well, that's the truth. That's the way it is. And I said, well, have you actually explored how babies are born in the deer population and uh, What's the difference? You hunt them when you're when you're they're having their babies. And I said, okay, let's start from the beginning. In November, the second week of November, approximately more or less that time frame, the seventh, the eighth of November, the tenth, the eleventh, somewhere in there, deer have the peak of their rut period. Their gestation is two hundred and ten days. Okay, that's six and a half months. So in May, June, the babies are born. It takes 80 days or more for them to be weaned. She says, what's weaned? I said, when they stop drinking breast milk. She didn't even understand that. She also said, what's gestation? So she didn't understand that. Somebody had been talking to her, had got this in her head. And, of course, she said, okay. And I said, so now that's middle of August when these, these animals are weaned. So at what point between the middle of August and the Uh, the second week of November, do they have 210 days to have another baby? And she says, I don't care. You're hunting them when they're having their babies. So her mind was set. You can't change that. And there are a lot of people who just will not listen to reason. And that's their business, I guess. I'm not going to fight with them. I'm not going to get mad at them. I'm just going to tell them the truth. This is the science of it. This is what happens. A lot of people understand it. They accept it. They're surprised by what they learn. And I mean, you look at a a possum, for instance, possums have a 10-day gestation. They can produce as many as 36 fetuses at one time, but only a maximum of 13 can actually survive because they have to have one of the the nipples in the pouch from the mammary gland in order to um, develop from there. So they look like a worm when they crawl into the, into the pouch from the womb after only 10 days, but they're the only non-placental mammal in North America. Most people don't get that. When you say that, about, you've got a belly button. What do you think was attached to that belly button? Your umbilical cord and it went to the placenta, which is the organ that gives you all your nutrients and oxygen and everything when you're in, in the womb. So possums don't have that. They have an, a yolk sac, which is basically an egg without a shell so and it's an interesting thing when you see them i uh i saw a female possum a year ago and it was uh walking across the street in east london and it had about eight babies on its back so and that possum stopped and looked in both directions before it crossed the street so they aren't as dumb as you really think
0: it's <laughs> kind, of, kind of unique that's so, for sure so yep. but uh I'll tell you, there was a lot of, uh, misconceptions on certain stuff. And, uh, like I said, I've, uh, I've been fortunate enough to take in your program, uh, more than once, Greg, obviously. Uh, and, uh, it's every time is a new learning experience. Cause you learn something new each time. Uh, I know, I know Greg, for you to do that, it's all volunteer based with the program, right? Like there's you and Dennis most mm-hmm. times, uh, you go out and you, uh, you, you put these on obviously, uh, these programs, uh, without, uh, people that contribute to your program. Uh, now, before I move on to the con- contributing aspect, uh, like without people that contribute and donate, obviously your events, couldn't go forward and happen. Like I know here in Nova Scotia, if it wasn't for, uh, for, uh, the CWTF and, uh, the local chapter here, uh, the blue Nose longbeards applying to the nova scotia habitat conservation fund and some dedicated volunteers obviously from uh from one of uh our groups here port Morian wildlife association uh, stepping up to assist in the logistics and and so forth uh it it may not have happened uh, it, a lot goes into the planning the pre-planning and uh even your travel to uh to, to say come to nova scotia uh, now Uh, i'm going to touch on a subject here because a lot of people are probably going to ask well what does your program cost uh for you to come to events and do greg and i'm going to throw that at you there and just give them a an idea right depending obviously if you're coming to nova scotia or newfoundland well there's there's added expenses obviously uh, uh because of travel but uh just just a I guess, a, a round number there. Uh, like, I know you do a lot in Ontario on that, and each one may vary a little bit uh, distance-wise and travel-wise. And, and I know a lot of what you make goes back into the program, which is a wonderful program. And you know what? Uh, the people of Ontario uh, in Toronto areas are very fortunate to have a guy like you up there, Greg, with this program. Uh, that, that doesn't put it in glass cases, obviously. You let people get pictures with them. You let, it, like, you do this for the enjoyment of the kids, the adults. I've seen many seniors that were, were mind-boggled, and so, some of the seniors and uh, uh, older people, uh, not so much seniors, but uh, seniors back to preteen, teen uh, when you tell them, don't touch the porcupine it's it's one of them situations where th- th- they want to touch the porcupine yeah. right uh, yeah as so soon as you just,
1: say that the first thing that happens is all the boys run over and put their hand on it so it'll hurt you just like it was alive now even like in wakagama how many kids walked up and wondered if they could have the porcupine because they wanted the quills
0: they wanted so, the quills for yeah. basket making and other yeah. uh other uh crafts that uh the Mi'kmaq nova scotia use mm-hmm. them for and i i was i i was surprised when uh, one of them fell out of the box there. And one of the, the, the girls there, she was a teacher. She asked, uh, she said, can I have that? She said, I'm short a couple. She said, and you just said, yeah, sure. It fell yeah. out of them. It's-
1: yeah, it's not there anymore. As long as you don't poke your finger with it. Everything is good. So.
0: And, uh, but uh, the, well, yeah, the, the cost, Greg, for your program, let's let's touch on that a little bit. Because I know well, a lot of people are going to ask. On I
1: don't set a price. I say, if you can help and cover my travel costs, then that's great. If you can't, I'm coming anyways. For the first seven years of the program, I did it out of my own pocket. I didn't ask for anything from anybody. About 2000, I started getting help from different groups. Um, In 2001, I uh, started a a Turkey Federation chapter here in, in Dorchester, called the Dorchester Swamp Gobblers, and they were uh, a small chapter in the Ontario program under the National Wild Turkey Federation. By 2007, the NWTF Ontario chapter was actually providing thousands of dollars every year. The Ministry of Natural Resources through through CFIP and um, so on, and the Protection and Enhancement Program uh, they actually contributed thousands of dollars to go towards the purchase of the mounts, getting the mounts done. Not You don't buy an animal. Mm-hmm. I have to acquire them from someplace. I'm a trapper. I hunt, I fish and I get those animals and then I can take them to a taxidermist if they need a permit like a bird of prey or if they need a uh, reclamation permit under the Canadian wildlife service, the loon that I've got in the display or the, um, the uh, great blue heron. They have to be, um, under a reclamation permit that has to be renewed every two years. And the uh, the provincial permits are great because they're once in a lifetime sort of thing. You you get it when the animal is first found dead on the road and you actually are able to uh, take it and it, you can hold it. You don't have to renew it like the federal permit. So I just went through the renewal process with the federal permit and I'm good for two more years. So, And of course, it has to be stored in a certain place specified in the permit. But I don't ask for anything in particular. If you can cover my costs to be there, I'll be there. If you can't, I'm still gonna come, and it's out of my pocket. If I've got extra money from other sponsors, uh, then I can put it in and just, I, I charge 55 cents a kilometer to go someplace. And so, or that's what I put against the account and uh, everything that i get basically goes back into the program uh we recently did a a little uh, let's say add up of what's in the program as far as assets are concerned it's approaching a hundred thousand dollars in mounts and in the trailer and the projector and the the computer and all the other things that i need but um if it wasn't for larger sponsorships such as the the uh, wellington street sportsman's club in dorchester the um, uh, Elmer District Trappers Council, the uh, National Wild Turkey Federation when they were here, now the Canadian Wild Turkey Federation, and also a big one is the um, uh, Zone J of the Ontario Federation of Anglers and Hunters. Um, all of those people, Brian and Kathy and them, they're, they're big supporters. Um, Tony, they're all people who have seen the program. And the first time Tony saw it, it was, It was kind of funny because he, we were up in uh, just around the corner from where he lived. And uh, Tony was there and I didn't know who he was. He was in the audience. He told me he was going to come up and watch, but uh, Mm -hmm. Tony Jackson was in the audience and uh, Tony came up to me afterwards and asked me if we could go for a coffee. He wanted to talk and he was amazed by what he learned. So uh, it's ecology and ecology is the study of everything not just one specific group of uh, or type of biology it's the the actual study of everything within the uh, the food web and like i said you'll never know everything i learn continually i will never know everything i i every year every day i try and learn something new but the cost is a big one and that's where it comes down to like i'm going to try i'm going to start writing letters and see if i can't get some help from different corporations because a corporate sponsorship would really help because I've been living from hand to mouth for as long as the program has been going. When you get a little bit of help yeah. and you, you think it's going to be good and you can run out three months and it doesn't take much, but you have scouts and guides, um, different uh, community groups that, uh, yeah, they can give you a few bucks, but it doesn't pay for all of it. Vehicle cost is the big one. And, like, I've gone through seven vehicles since 1993.
0: You know what, uh, here's uh, – I know what uh, what we do as hunters, trappers, fishers, and that sometimes isn't clearly, uh, I guess, it, it, it's painted badly in the general public, right? Yeah. Uh, now, some of your mounts and that obviously have been – Hunted, obviously, some of them, uh, or a majority of them, probably roadkill, uh, uh, no doubt. I believe that's what it was when you were down here last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, hopefully, now, there's, there's a wide viewership that watches this now. Maybe you get, can get lucky in the Ontario area or somewhere there where you may be able to pick up a sponsorship that may say hey there's a lease on the truck here the wear and tear parts you just have to take care of type deal right Mm -hmm. that's that's a plausible aspect right like nothing's ever ruled out and uh, i know i had uh steve elmy on here last night uh for a podcast and uh steve mentioned uh the Jumpstart Program with uh, Canadian Tire. He said uh, he said that may be a, a possible avenue for you to look at. Uh, as yeah. Well, right? yeah.
1: Well, Steve was um, mentioning it to me there after he read the article that's in the uh, the uh, Canadian Strutter, the uh, CWTF magazine for members. I carry some of them to the um, to the uh, different fairs and so on, and put them on the table, and people pick them up and read them, and but. One of the problems also is that if you're out of sight, out of mind, people will remember you, and then once they walk out the door, they'll take your card, they'll look at the article, and then they'll forget you, which is, I mean, people are busy. They they have many different things to do, and um, there are certain people, teachers in certain schools who call me every year. I've got two environmental leadership programs from East Elgin and Catholic Central that call me every year. And um, it's just one of those things that every time you turn around, um, someone new will call and certain people will remember you and certain people you'll slip through the cracks. And I've been to a school and have you ever been here before? Well, yeah, actually um, about eight years ago I was here. Well, nobody even knows who you are. Well, that's because all of the personnel have changed, all of the teachers. The staff have gone to other schools, retired, done different things. But the biggest problem and that's the big thing is the cost of doing business. And just, just going to Nova Scotia, the mileage was over $3,000 for each trip. It was over 5,000 uh, kilometers each time we went down and came back. And then you're dealing with the truck and all of the repairs. It's an eight-year-old truck now. I'm at the point where I really don't want to take it long distances because it's going to break down. And I'm going to end up having to repair it and I already have had to repair it. I've spent thousands of dollars in the last year. Brakes, tires, I had a problem with the um, the uh, oil pump. It had to be replaced, or the sending unit that was on there. It, it wasn't uh, damaging the engine, but you don't want to go without knowing that you've got uh, oil pressure in an engine. So, And uh, that cost $600. So everything adds up, and uh, without the large sponsorship, from all of these different groups that helped me out. And it really gets tough. And like I say, I'll go to a fair, they'll give me a, a donation
0: and that's great. I really appreciate it. And it goes right back into the program,
1: goes to the words, the maintenance of the truck. But- uh,
0: It shows with the amount of mounts that you have and the, the work that goes into that. It's, uh, if people only realize what some of them mounts, taxidermy mounts- cost, Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's mind boggling and mind uh, mind numbing sometimes when you start counting up how much money goes out and mounts. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. uh i know we've uh we've, we've, we've we're touching there on the the donations and you've touched on that a bit uh uh we i I'll, i may end up with people that ask do you take donations to support your program and I wanted to touch on that because if uh, if we can get you, just from people watching, some donations there to help the program, uh, because y- you do it all over for the most part. Uh, it's not just combined to mm-hmm. Ontario. Proven point, you came to Nova Scotia a couple times, and uh, hey, it's, uh, it's a costly endeavor to run this program. Uh, I know you have struggled to get that new trailer or, or new to you trailer, uh, mm-hmm. if uh, memory serves me correctly.
1: Yeah, it, the other trailer fell apart the first trip down to Nova Scotia, remember? <laughs> the uh, the frame broke, and it dropped down onto the wheel. So it was not a good trip back to Ontario. So no. But we
0: made it. You made it. Uh, you lucked out. Uh, I know there were some issues with the trailer and that. Uh, so for people that wish to, to make donations to you, uh, I've got your email. Uh, if it's all right for me to display, Greg, sure, um, go ahead. Um, uh, they, they can email you at, uh, Greg at Rogers.com. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, discuss things. Uh, I'm sure you would, uh, you would no doubt accept a, an e-transfer, uh, for donation as well. Uh, there's another alternate uh, option as well for people that want to donate to your wonderful program. Uh, and, uh, I, I don't know if you can see it there, but, uh, Greg is in the right corner there. It says make a donation to the wildlife ecology, uh, education program. So, uh, if you, uh, if you, yeah, if you can do that, uh, please support Greg, uh, with his endeavors, uh, on this, uh, it's a great, uh, it's a great program that Greg does. And, uh, you know what we've, like I said, we've seen it, uh, we've seen it numerous times firsthand here. Uh, and, uh, like the kids, uh, I'm bringing it up here now if it'll display uh the the photo there of uh one of the schools obviously uh yeah uh where where you've been at uh like when we were down uh when when we had you guys down you and Dennis uh it was tremendous uh the people there that uh learned a lot even with the artifacts unfortunately uh, I was I I was trying to find all the photos, but uh, I didn't get a hold of Darren hmm. in time to get all the artifact photos because I know Darren has photos of every artifact yeah. that you have. Yeah, Darren uh, but, loved taking uh, pictures. Oh, he Darren was an on-site, on-site photographer that day, him and yeah. uh, the missus that day.
1: Well, it uh, was funny, um, Jeff. You're talking about people contacting you. Like, Look at how you were the second day in that March trip. And all those people were calling you up until after midnight wondering when you're going to be able to get the program to come into their school and so on. And uh, I think you said you had some people who, uh, when you were offering it to begin with, before I'd even arrived there, they said, well, you know, what's that all about? Why, why would we have him in there? But then after they saw it, you put some of the presentation onto, the, onto Facebook.
0: Yeah, but, uh, we, put it, we put it up on uh, the Port Morian Wildlife uh, Facebook page. Uh, Port Morian Wildlife Association uh, Facebook page, and uh, mm. uh, from there, the the schools and the teachers and that it it just spiraled right. But it took one school, and that yeah. one school was Riverside uh, uh, School out in uh, Albert Bridge there. Yeah. And uh, from there, it was it was wow. And and you know, Greg, it would have been it would have been bad if I hadn't got you guys to come and do my own hometown while you were down, right? It, mm. uh, yeah. So yeah. To, to this day, uh, kids kids don't forget, and kids say, "Hey, like that's the that's the guy that had the taxidermy guy down, and w- w- when's he coming back down again?" So it's a uh, it's it's a, a funny uh, it's a funny thing how they don't forget, eh? Yeah. Uh, well, but, uh, I, I brought a picture up here, and I just want to touch base on that. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. We we did have uh, the president of uh, CWTF down for the first uh, kickoff in uh, in what. Uh, Wacoba or Waikagama as some people pronounce it as well on uh, Chief Rad's uh, Reserve at the, the Wacoba school. and the children there, it was it was so they were so enthusiastic about it. It got to the point, Greg where we were hoping to do uh, uh, Wagmacook school just down the road uh, at another time. It got to the point that same day that uh, Chief Rod had uh, his uh, his people reach out, and we had another school, if you remember, right, yeah. travel school bus and, yeah. and, and come in and uh, take part in this, and uh, it it was it was tremendous to see. Uh, uh, in the picture there, you see uh, Chief Rod Gugu uh, uh, from uh, Waikagama mm-hmm. uh, Reserve. Uh, he he was overly enthusiastic and. Greg he he opened it up uh, again for for any time he can help to have more more uh, schools done uh, mm-hmm. to, uh, to to take part uh he's he holds a portfolio for lands, forestry and wildlife and uh, that is right up his uh his alley there uh, to uh, to do obviously and uh i, I can't forget the councillors and member too as well because mm-hmm. Craig Christmas and Graham Marshall—they were huge to uh to open up their their facilities, uh, arms wide open again for 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 us to come in with mm-hmm. that uh, and you. Uh, and again, that was the first two uh, First Nation schools in uh, in Nova Scotia. Uh, that second trip, uh, there was a a Mi'kmaq non-Mi'kmaq school uh, in Antigonish. There, uh, mm-hmm. I forget the name of the school.
1: East Antigonish um, Academy, I think it was, or something along those lines.
0: You got a better memory than I got. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, they they were overly enthusiastic with it as well. So it, it didn't go unheard, but the support from that was just tremendous. And, Greg, again, your email contact is up there for anybody interested in this. They can reach you directly there if they want to make mm-hmm. a donation or an e-transfer. Not saying that they have to, but if, they, if the generosity is there for them too, it would be uh, great if they could, if, uh, if, if nobody knows how to do that, there is a second option there, Greg, uh, like I said, mm-hmm. where, and the CWTF, uh, uh, website, uh, they can, uh, physically go ahead in, in the right corner here. I don't know if you can see my cursor, mm-hmm. it, yep. but, uh, but you'll see, uh, make a donation to Greg here. And if they can make a donation, perfect. Uh, CWTF, will uh, funnel it back to, to you and the website is, uh, Uh, cwtf.ca for for those people that are interested in that Mm -hmm. obviously
1: just one thing jeff before we uh, go any further just uh, something to anybody in the local area in ontario if you want me to come out and visit your school uh, absolutely contact me i'll come and whether you give me a donation or you don't give me a donation i'm coming i've had a little bit of money actually uh, donated this year through the uh, OFAH, and just recently a little bit more through our club in Dorchester and the money's there and I'm in the process of getting more mounts with it and maintaining everything but um, I have money to travel if there's a possibility that you can help me out with my gas money then uh, that'd be great Um, I'm doing three fall fairs this uh, September if they go with this COVID-19 thing and And hopefully they will But that uh,
0: starts to lead us into another question there before I touch on the COVID aspect. Uh, How many provinces or territories uh, have you had the workshops in or been invited to come and take place? Uh, Well, I've been
1: contacted by different people in New Brunswick and haven't heard from them in a while. Um, I've been talked or I've talked with people about going to Manitoba. Haven't heard from them in a while. Um, Nova Scotia and Ontario are the only two provinces that I've actually been in all over Ontario, except for like uh, the furthest north of is Timmins. And um, that was for a convention for the Fur Managers Federation, which I'm a charter member of and the um, all over Southern Ontario. And uh, like I say, the uh, surprise that people get when they see the program and actually sit and listen to it. I had a, a teacher that invited me to the Christian school in um, Kitchener, Ontario. And uh, it was funny because that teacher, when she had the uh, program for the the entire school, they all come in and the one teacher was going to refuse to come in. And the comment she made afterwards was, after listening to the common sense that is talked about in the program, I can see why it's important to have that program there. Because it's not about killing things. I'm a trapper, I'm a hunter, Eventually, I will take an animal to provide food for my table, to put fur into the market, to maintain conservation, uh, the health of populations. Um, I just got finished helping an older friend uh, manage uh, beavers just east of of London. I um, got uh, nine beavers over the course of the last couple of weeks that uh, were blocking municipal drains. And, um, uh, unfortunately Ken has a, a hip problem and he's in his late seventies and he's not able to do as much as he used to. So I come out and I give him a hand and, uh, we got most of the jobs done. We've cleared four drains or I have uh, helped him clear four drains. He's done uh, several more and, um, now they just have to come in and, and, um, you know, scour the drain and get it, get the water flowing. The water is on top of the land back in these, uh, these, uh, farm fields and so on. And, uh, they're, um, they're causing problems. So that when you start looking at, you know, managing things, it's all important. And a lot of people don't get that. I had another lady who invited me up uh, near Lucknow, Ontario, and she's the daughter of, uh, Charlie Brindley, who's um, a legend in Ontario. He was, uh, um his name is on the top award for the Ontario Fur Managers Federation and uh, Charlie's daughter invited me after she met me when I was at the, the fair in Ripley and I went in and she was really concerned about her colleagues and how they would view it and after they were finished she said it was unbelievable how they actually you know appreciated what was there and uh the amount of work that went into it and the amount of knowledge that uh, was passed on to, if they remember 50% of it, then uh, they're, they're doing really well. So there's a lot to talk about. When I go into a, a university, for instance, the, um, the kids are kind of funny because of all well, the, they're adults. They don't like it because I don't carry ready notes and they have to write so fast. And the one, um, <laughs> the one, uh, uh, professor, Dr. Laura down at, uh, um Ridgetown she has me in every year and uh it's funny because she bases some of her final exam I guess on uh, what I talk about and um she actually makes up ready notes for the kids to fill in the gaps and they still don't get all the answers they have to come up to me afterwards and uh ask the questions so but it's stuff we talk about and then you run into somebody who says my daughter was in that class one of the guys at work London Transit his daughter was in the class two years ago and, um she had to make sure she came home and told him that um, she'd seen me and uh, how much she enjoyed the program, which was great. I appreciate that a lot. It's uh, and, you don't hear it from everybody,
0: but um you know that every once in a while, like there's there's whoop? value there. Oh yeah, kids oh, yeah. and uh, adults and uh, college students as well. Uh, and you know what, Greg, that leads us into this. Uh, have any uh, children or in this case, adults that seen the program? Uh, gotten involved with the outdoors, whether or not they decided to become a biologist based on what you had done or or just based off of anything, even taxidermy. Have any yep. of the kids uh, in your 30-plus years uh, uh, have – picked up anything like that greg yeah and that's
1: the funny part because uh i've um i've talked to kids afterwards that have gone to university university of guelph and gotten involved in um, wildlife biology and different things even uh, veterinary uh, medicine and so on we if they want to talk about that i can discuss it with them as well um i was in hamilton in uh, many years ago and um a couple of kids that uh Come up to me, a brother and sister, and he said, uh, "How are you doing, Greg?" And I said, "Oh, okay." And it was well. We saw you two years ago in London. We've moved down here since, and now I found out since then that the the one the the boy has gone on to uh, to uh, biology, and uh, yeah. he's uh, actually I'm not sure if it was biology or the wildlife program in um, in Fleming College in uh, in Lindsay. So then, of course, I, I hear a lot of different uh, kids that are from especially the ELP classes that they uh, after they see the program and then they end up at Fleming and uh, do different things. I had one young lady who was uh, the daughter of a friend. She went to Fleming and um, the part of the mammology course was they had to get a fur furbearer, dissect it, skin it, dissect it, get the bones down to um, to white and uh, dry the uh, and tan the fur, and uh, she was the only one in the class that got a beaver because I gave it to her, and uh, it was just a little guy. He was a yearling, and he was maybe 15 pounds, but it worked perfect for her, and the professor couldn't believe that someone got a beaver. But uh, then they needed all the information. Well, where did you get it? Is this guy actually a trapper? Well, yeah, I am, and here's the information where I caught it. Here's my number. It was transferred under um, the uh, ministry um, the permission to allow this uh, young lady to take it. And she, uh, she um, finished it and she was the only one I had a beaver. Everybody was uh, jealous because everybody else had red squirrels or weasels or something like that. She had a, a full beaver to do. So, but um, yeah, there's a lot of them. Uh, one young lady, Dana, who uh, is the daughter of a, a good friend. I ended up in her school back in the mid nineties in uh, East London. And um, it was funny because she has now become a teacher and she teaches full time in uh, a school out in uh, Kamoka. And I've been there a couple of times and it was uh, based on her recommendation. So here's somebody that I saw as a, as a child who's become a teacher and now she's had me into her school. So it's, uh, it's um, quite the thing when you think about it, Uh, what goes around comes around and when these kids see it and they, they get interested in all the different things that uh, that can be presented, and then it, it broadens their outlook and they decide they want to go in this direction. Great. If, you know, if I've affected, I don't know how many kids. Well, like I said, over the years, 176,000 people, probably 80 to 90% of them are kids. So I have to hope that there has been some influence on these kids going on and doing great things in certain fields, so...
0: Oh, for sure. Uh, which, which is tremendous for them, uh, because, uh, you, you left a lasting impression, right? Yeah. Uh, it's most kids, if they see something they like, they, they don't forget, right? Uh, yeah. which, which is always wonderful. Now, here's a question I've got for you. How did the COVID-19 affect the work that you do with the program?
1: Well, everything's canceled. So we did, um, um, a national, um, historic site that, uh, here in Ontario, it was uh, the uh, Ruthven Park historical um, uh, site, national historic site. And I only saw a crowd of, like around 50 people, I believe it was. And um, that was back in February on family day. And uh, I got in trouble over that one because my grandson was playing hockey in uh, in mm-hmm. Hamilton during the uh, intermission, the, uh, the Hamilton Bulldogs game. And we only found out about it a week or so before uh, I was supposed to go to the other thing, and I said to the wife, "My daughter, is it okay if I do this?" Oh yeah, and then of course they uh, they got the the invite to come and play hockey as a Timbit in the, during the uh, intermission. So I missed that. Well, I'm uh, Grampy's going to have to make up for that one. So, oh, but um, sure. yeah, yeah. So uh, and then uh, we did a um, maple syrup festival during March break. For a couple of days, and uh, I've seen a, about 500 people this year. That's it. So, which is okay. I mean, if this is what we have to do, we have to shelter in place and stay safe. Um, I, I haven't driven a bus for five weeks because they've cut the buses back, and I'm a part timer. I'm retired, so I, if the, they got to keep the full timers going and pay their salary. Or their their wages, so that's fine. I'll stay home. I've been trapping beavers, and now we're hunting turkeys as of yesterday.
0: Yeah, so, congratulations
1: yeah. on that. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I wish we would have go. got one. Poor Dennis. Uh, remember, we talking about his ATV accident. He lost his sight and his hearing on his left side oh, when his wow. um, ATV went, rolled, and he uh, ended up pretty badly injured and in the hospital. And uh, they didn't give him much of a chance for survival, and he's a strong guy. He came out of it. He's 78 years old, turned 79 this year. And, um, and it's funny because uh, he ended up uh, um, doing really well. He's uh, really come a long way. When he got his 24-pound turkey a few years ago, the turkey was eight feet from him, and he couldn't see him because he was on the left side. And he was he's blind and deaf on that side. And I was sitting 10 feet from him, and I said, Dennis, I just kind of whispered to him, look left. And he looked left, and that turkey saw him move and backed up about three feet. And Dennis shot him at about 10 or 11 feet. So I put it right in his hip pocket, and he he, uh, he got that one. But on uh, yesterday morning, I called one into 15 yards for him, and he, because he can hear from his right side, he was able to hear the turkey gobbling, but he couldn't see it, and he couldn't pinpointed and that bird was out on the on the field 15 yards from him and um, I guess he moved his head or something happened he moved and the turkey busted him and took off running but uh, you know can't get him much closer than that it was a nice bird too it's probably well over 22 pounds so it was uh, and we couldn't get a shot at him uh, my buddy Stu and myself were, were social distancing in the field so Stu was about uh, 10 yards from me and he was about 60 yards from the bird so there's no point in even pulling the trigger on that because you're, no. just, you're just going to wound them possibly or educate them so let him run
0: and, and you uh, know what That's uh, you guys are fortunate to have a turkey season up there yeah. i know New brunswick was going to roll theirs out it got uh postponed till next year because of the covet as well yeah it's, uh, it's a it's a lot to, to uh to take in a lot of cancellations and so forth mm-hmm. as you were talking again greg uh for the viewers there that it, watch this and tune in. Uh, we've, uh, we, we've displayed the two options for them to touch base with you, make a donation if they can, uh, with the CWTF website, as well as your personal email there. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've showed a lot of photos there and, uh, I just for the viewers here that may not know this, uh, I'm going to bring this one here up. Uh, we were in member two there and we had the option to, uh, view the member two, uh, uh, heritage center yeah uh, and uh it's it's a wealth of uh migma uh, first nations uh heritage uh in the in the area uh with that uh, stan myself dennis and you uh we found some time at that point uh to actually go down and check it out and it was it was a, a wonderful learning curve uh for for everybody there and what uh what shocked uh a lot of us uh I think even dennis was a little shocked was uh when uh i don't know if you can see it there but uh, he's got the beaver medallion he, there he's yeah. got the beaver medallion there and here's a picture of uh you and jeff ward uh uh who is the general manager there uh, in the member two uh heritage center uh displaying it and uh, i know uh i don't have the the photo of jeff there with the in his full regalia uh displayed i know i i had sent it to you before but uh but just give our viewers a little inkling on that uh, medallion aspect uh because uh, i know a lot of people uh to this day ask jeff and ask me uh, uh about it right and mm-hmm. it's uh it's it, it was interesting it was a uh, it was a uh, a touching day there when you did that especially uh like i know uh jeff ward talks about it all the time mm
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. They, uh, it was kind of funny actually, because like I've had these two in my, um, in my possession for about 10 years, I've got two medallions just like that. And a friend of mine who is a retired teacher who has actually supplied me with all the historical, um, items, he gave them to me. And he said, when you meet somebody worthy of having it, you give that to somebody and you keep one yourself and you'll be friends. And, um, Jeff's family is beaver clan from middle New Brunswick, I believe. That's what he said. And uh, that beaver medallion, it's got a loop on the top of it, and you can put uh, a thong through it and wear it around your neck for good luck and so on. And um, the, uh, the thing is, is that that actual uh, medallion, it was, well, I'm told it's at least 100 years old, possibly 200 years old. They're made out of um, uh, spoon silver. And uh, I believe it's spoon silver. And it wouldn't be coin silver, I don't think. It's, uh, but it's silver anyways. You can see the patina on it, the uh, the different colors that uh, come when it becomes tarnished, and um, it's it's silver, and it's uh, it's something that um, Ernie Ernie Kowalchuk, who is uh, one of my mentors, he taught me a lot of things about this, and uh, being a retired teacher and giving me the uh, use of all of the uh, the um, uh, historical items that. Uh, I have in the display, and um, when I gave that to Jeff, and he told me he his family's Beaver Clan from uh, Middle New, New Brunswick, and his uh, his father and his grandfather, and his, I believe it was his grandfather who had the uh, the Beaver case in New Brunswick, where he uh, took the federal government to court, and um, he did really well, I guess, with that uh, that case. But uh, it's um, it's something that was a gift to the first nations people when they were trading fur, and it's uh, you you've heard the term Indian giver where you give somebody something who's native and then take it back. That's what they used to do during the uh, trading. If they uh, didn't like the way things were, that's what they ended up being called was an Indian giver because they gave it to somebody and then they took it back from them because they weren't satisfied with what happened. Well, that's not what happened here. And I, I really surprised, I think I surprised a lot of people pulling that out of my pocket and giving it to Jeff. And I think he was quite surprised too. And I'm glad he's got it. It's a perfect place to, uh, to give that to somebody who was really dedicated to that heritage. And, uh, you see the things that are in that, uh, that center, and it's really something to, uh, to look at. If you get a chance and you're open member to get in there and visit, it's, uh, we looked around and I was amazed by what was in that
0: display. So. Many artifacts. Yeah. And we've, we've been fortunate. Well, Fort and Wildlife was fortunate this year into uh, doing the, the bald eagle reveal and blessing mm-hmm. in member to uh, this uh, past October there. That uh, that that opened the, the eyes of uh, many across Canada, to be mm-hmm. quite honest. And, uh,
1: Unfortunately, Jeff, you know, the worst part was that you sent me the the uh, video of the uh, the ceremony, and I could never open it. <laughs> I just, I've never seen it.
0: Really? So,
1: yeah, I could never open it. I actually meant to uh, mention that to you. Maybe if you get a chance and you can send it to me again, hopefully it'll work this time. But it, oh, wow. every time I turned it on, it just this file is corrupt so okay
0: well, something I'll, happened. With, I'll, send, mm-hmm. I'll send you the link because it was live as well right on, okay yeah mm-hmm. on uh, the pmwa uh, facebook page so you can All check right. it out there yeah. so uh do you got any closing words there greg you want to throw out there for everybody that's probably going to watch this or are watching i'm not seeing how many are watching currently but uh but uh, it's up to you if you got any last words you want to close out with there mm-hmm. uh before we we end i I've got a f- pile of photos there I picked through the the best uh as what i could uh to mm-hmm. display because uh we we would need more than an hour or an hour and a half to to go through all the photos uh, mm-hmm. uh that uh Darren had taken there obviously and uh, he's he's taken some pile mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, but if you get any words there that you want to let anybody know or how to contact you, I know we put the email up there a few times. And uh, yeah. it's, uh, Well, the, um,
1: the thing is, is that this is a passion. I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it. And uh, being a volunteer is important. Everybody should volunteer. Unfortunately, 90% of the people don't. 10% of the people do 90% of the work. And um, maybe sometime, you know, people see this, get involved. Don't just write a check to, well, of all the places, I won't say. it, um, But get involved with a conservation organization, a real conservation organization. Go out and do habitat work. Help with reestablishing fisheries like you with the, the uh, hatchery and schools program. That's important. If you don't have those kids doing that, they don't have a real aspect looking at what is good for the environment and things like that. Fisheries, um, the kids' fishing programs, everything. Get involved. And remember, and this is one of the things, one of my pet peeves is that people call hunting and trapping and fishing a sport. I'm sorry, it's not a sport. It's a passion. It is an expression of life. It is a way of life. Look at how the First Nations approach it. It's their life. It's what makes me me. And it is an art form. It's not. A sport and I can't call it a sport because it is, it involves everything in your life when you actually get involved. Um, what was his name? Dave, Dave, oh god, he did a program for the uh the uh premier symposium in 2000. Uh, Dave Wills was his name, he was a former um lobbyist for the uh animal rights, and he he kind of flipped. And he wrote um, The uh, Politics of Advocacy. And in it, he said, what you look at when you look at an animal rights group and you look at how they approach things, stopping the use of animals, stopping the use of wildlife, stopping the use of everything that is, you know, not vegetation, Mm -hmm. is nothing but an intellectual act. It, It is an intellectual exercise to these people. Stopping that is what they think they're doing and they they think they're helping the world. But when you see how conservation works and how management of wildlife in the absence of these actual predators, you look at the reintroduction of predators out west and how, you know, um, uh, they they call it a trophic cascade when you remove something that is important, especially a keystone species and something else suffers. When they reintroduced the wolves into into, um, uh, Yellowstone Park and the Absaroka Beartooth Reserve in the mid-90s, they brought them down from Canada. They wanted to have 300 wolves and 30 packs. The last thing I heard was they had 300 packs and over 1,600 wolves, and that was several years ago. But when they reintroduced those wolves, it moved the elk across the landscape. It allowed the bison to come back, which is a keystone species. And without the bison, grizzly bears don't do well because grizzly bears used to come out of hibernation and seek out the drowned bison that were trying to cross the river to get to the grasslands on the other side in the spring when the flood stage took place. And that that food source started them off in the spring. So it's like, like we were talking about the lemmings. Or you can go over to Africa, the wildebeest. They all do the same thing, and they're all important. The wildebeest provide phosphorus and calcium for the river that they drown in, and animals eat them. It's all part of nature. It's all part of the natural cycle. And without grizzly bears, you don't have, or uh, without uh, bison, you don't have grizzly bears. The beavers have been able to come back the streams, the riparian habitat has come back and it's actually cooled the water. And now they're seeing insect populations that they didn't know existed before in the water. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things that are involved when you reintroduce that that one element, that important apex predator, everything else actually benefits from it. So, and everything comes under control, but that is the whole thing is that uh, when you start looking at um, hunting and trapping and fishing, and everything else that's in between, that's involved in conservation, it is a lifestyle, it is a passion, and it is an art form. It's not a sport. And people, I hope people realize that. So it's all part of my life, and I wouldn't do it any other way. But but get involved. Don't sit back and let other people do it. Don't just write a check to certain people who don't use the money for conservation. they They just take it and make themselves rich. We won't uh, get involved in names here, but, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, so. We'll,
0: we'll keep but, that uh, at, a, at a minimum there for the yeah. most part. Yeah, That's so guy. Port Morian uh,
1: Wildlife, uh, look at what Port Morian does. You guys up there and the, the hardships you guys are suffering from uh, lack of funding and the different things you've had to cancel this year because of the, the COVID-19 thing. I mean, I'm okay. I'm kind of just sitting around. I'm doing you know what i'm doing and people will call me and eventually you know i'll be back in the schools and so on it's uh, not a big deal like i said i've got three three bookings for the fall just for uh fares that's probably going to be close to fifteen thousand people i'll see so we'll see what happens but uh, and
0: and you know what it's it's wide spectrum it's right across the board for every every organization every program every this every that uh business small business it's uh it's it's all been affected uh, the words uh you speak greg uh like i speak highly of you and your program uh as do many others uh hopefully this will be seen by many more and uh say oh wow let's let's touch base with greg and see what we can do and get him there and we may have to hunker down and wait for covid to be over obviously but mm-hmm. but uh you you just don't know right uh no i know uh i had a a message there from actually the Port Morium page, uh, where they, uh, where Kim says, hi, Greg. <laughs> so, so, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a tremendous program. It's, it's huge educational component. Um, uh, I believe every school should try to have you there, uh, because it encompasses everything from the history to the science, the biology, uh, the list goes on, right? Like it's uh it's, it's a tremendous learning tool and some folks can't just, they can't just do with the books, right? They need to see physically hands on yeah, yeah. and uh, that, uh, that spearheads them into ideas and, and programs moving forward in their life. Yeah. So what yeah. you do, Greg is uh, great. It's tremendous. And uh, again, thanks for doing what you do uh, in all the provinces and, that uh with your program and uh, no. other than that i i really don't have much more to say greg uh i think we've uh we hit the ball out of the park for for a little over an hour here discussing your program uh in detail uh, uh, you've you've given some closing remarks and mm. and whatnot so what i'm going to do here is just take you off for a second there greg and uh i'll slowly end the broadcast, but I'll come back and have a quick little chat with you uh, for okay. five to 10 minutes, if that's okay.
1: All right. Well, thanks for having me on, Jeff. I appreciate it. And I look forward to, I mean, I'm 62 years old now, and I expect to be doing this for a long time. I have no intention of stopping. It's Whether I have the ability to continue because of the lack of funding, it's up to the people that, uh, you know, like I said, I'll do everything I can. I'll go as many places as possible, wherever I get invited. If people want to see what's going on, I'm happy to be there. So it's just a matter of knowing who wants to have the program in the schools or wherever. And, I mean, I'm even doing uh, um, long-term care homes now. (laughs) Not now, but uh, last year I did one and the year before I did one. And it was funny because the one fellow uh, saw my hat, my CWTF hat, I want one of those. Well, I didn't have one to give him in the car and I wasn't, or the truck, I wasn't going to give him the one off my head because it was already worn by me and dirty. So I went out, I found a brand new uh, hunting hat, one of the blaze orange ones that we get for, for deer hunting. And I gave it to him. He was proud as punch sitting there in his wheelchair. He, he uh, put that on his head and I don't think he's uh, not wearing it still. So he's, he's, uh, he enjoyed it, but that's Thanks great. for having me on, Jeff. I appreciate it, and uh,
0: appreciate having. Hopefully,
1: you Hopefully, uh, if anybody wants to give me a call or contact me, I'm quite happy to come out and any group from junior kindergarten and no, no group is too small. I've gone a hundred kilometers to see twelve kids, and wow. you know you take it in and you do the talk, and, and uh, it's appreciated. So, and that's a uh, lot of work. Yeah, well, hey, that's what it's all about.
0: it it pays off seeing the enjoyment of the kids uh, see the value
1: it is important so i appreciate it thanks jeff
0: for sure thanks for being on greg thank you so folks there you have it uh we had greg balsh uh with the community uh wildlife management workshops uh on coast to coast outdoors episode seven uh today Uh, so yeah if anybody can uh in, in our, throughout the show, we've displayed his email address and we displayed uh, a link to the Canadian Wild Turkey Federation where people can donate to Greg's program. Uh, again, if you have the opportunity to check it out, it's worth its weight in gold. Any organizations that uh, may be able to help Greg out or anything moving forward, feel free to contact Greg and go from there. So with that, folks, that concludes the episode for today. And uh, thanks for viewing uh episode eight we have roger lewis talking about uh traditional bows as well as his his safari hunting uh roger has tremendous amount of uh time in the, the hunting aspect under his belt as well he has written uh, many articles for magazines and and so on and so forth so uh stay tuned uh, that i believe is on the 29th which is wednesday um uh, If you follow the page, uh, give us a like, give us a follow, and you will see who is our next upcoming guest, Coast to Coast Outdoors. So with that, uh, enjoy.